Hello, everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to another episode of Hi, Jinx, with me, Jinx Monsoon. Today, our guest is Varla Jean Merman, who not only played the voice of Nanog, the sentient eggnog from my holiday special with Ben de la Creme, but she is a living legend in the old guard of drag, one of the most multi-talented, multi-faceted performers I know, and also she's a redhead, so she's got that going for her. So hunker down and strap in for some brand new hijinks. Forever. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today we are joined by a chippy red-headed bimbo with broad shoulders and a voracious appetite. It's Varla Jean Merman. Hi, Varla. Jinx. <laughs> How are you doing? Are you I, where where are you in the world right now? I'm in Florida, as you know. I've I've nestled here. That's what all old gays do. You either go to Palm Springs or Fort Lauderdale, and we chose Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> <laughs> and you went there from Nolens, right? Yes, you I was from Nolens. Yes, I lived there pretty much my whole life. And then I, I lived in New York for a little bit, and then I came back after 9-11. Okay, <laughs> because I lived by the trade towers cheery story to start the show with uh, I, I i went back to new orleans and then katrina happened and so a disaster has has followed me so, so the cities just keep um ejecting you from yes them. I, now you're yes. In fort lauderdale i am and i love fort lauderdale i mean i really do love it it's, um uh, let's let's just jump right in to your drag career and how Varla Jean Merman came to be, because I, I won't disclose your age, partially because I don't know it, but, <laughs> you know, you're a mature human being and See? you've been doing drag a very, very long time. Um, how did it begin? Well, I moved, I went to a boarding school uh, in Louisiana. It was a, it was an arts and science school. And I actually went there um, to be a chemistry major, believe it or not. <laughs> I know. But while I was there, I met all these people who were in the arts department. And I just, I, I wanted to be with them. And so I had never sung before, but I had a very high voice. And the, the choir teacher was like, you know, uh, you know, you sound like you could be a tenor. I need a tenor in the choir. So I joined the choir. And then by the end of that year, I had changed my major to, you know, to, vocal performance as we say and um but then i met so many gay people there and I, I wasn't gay at the time but i met so many gay people and there was a time where they had a senior auction our senior year and this is the first <laughs> time i did drag and so we paid these uh junior girls to 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 buy us and make us go to school and drag and so because <laughs> we wanted to do it so bad me and my friend chad and so that was the first time I ever did drag. But when I got out of school, all of us went to this university in Baton Rouge called LSU. 
Louisiana State University. And uh, I met a guy there named Timo, his name Vid Kid Timo, and he would film everything. And back then, you know, a video camera was like a microwave, yeah. <laughs> like so big, but he would film everything. And for uh, a friend of mine's birthday, who actually just passed away, I decided to do a, like a star search spokesmodel audition video at the time star search was on this is a very long time ago and uh and so that's when i i did some sort of character i think it was like connie lingus or something original like that and (laughs) and so i did all you know all these like silly modeling things you know and because that guy vidkid timo had first introduced me to, you know, uh, John Waters. And I just couldn't even believe that that existed. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I never even knew a movie could could be like that. You know, I just, <laughs> it was just, you know, just whatever you wanted. And, and I was so fascinated by Divine that I think, you know, I sort of wanted to be her when I first started. But there was a talent contest at a bar and we would film these videos of me and drag, but this is sort of before Varla. And we would give them to the bars to play and, uh, you know, behind music because videos were new. (laughs) (laughs) And so they would play these videos of me like running around being chased by a plastic rat or drinking a gallon of milk for like 30 minutes in in public places. And people would freak out because they had never really seen, you know, that done, you know, in a mall in our town. And I'd be in full drag drinking a gallon of milk by a planter, you know, and we'd film (laughs) the people watching. But then I finally, we did it. There was a talent contest at the bar and uh, I, that's where I came up with Varla. At the time, it was just Varla Merman. I had read um, Ethel Merman's autobiography. And she, there's a chapter that says, my marriage to Ernest Borgnine. They were married for 38 days. And it, you, you, it says, my marriage to Ernest Borgnine. And you turn the page and it's blank. <laughs> and she does the next chapter, which I thought was so amazing that she hated him so much that she wasn't even going to honor him with talking about it, you know? So then I, I came up with a character that maybe she had gotten pregnant with him and she hated him so much that she got rid of the baby and sent it to an orphanage in New Orleans. And that's sort of where the character began. And we did a talent show at this bar in, in Baton Rouge. And it kind of was the story of Arla's life. And it was very, it, it used video and live performance video. And, live, and it was like a, you know, 15 minute little skit, but it had used video and live performance. And that's sort of where the character began. Well, I've seen some of these early videos <laughs> yeah. in your shows and they very, I mean, like you can tell, you can tell the John Waters influence, but it's like John Waters for sure, but also Looney Tunes. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I was Farla a huge fan of Carol Burnett. Character. Yes, Carol Burnett. Um, yeah. You have this way of doing things, this like frantic this frantic, chaotic energy, and you bounce back and forth between being so demure and so in control and just having the audience eat out of the palm of your hand. And the next thing you know, you're climbing a rope or you're chugging cheese whiz. (laughs) And it's this bounce back and forth between this demure, delicate flower to this frantic, chaotic energy that is what's so addictive of about Varla Jean Merman for me. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because when I first started, I wanted to be divine. And so, you know, mm-hmm. it was shock value and, and everything was shock value. But when I was in New York uh, and I moved to New York in the 90s, and the reason why I did is because my same friend in high school that we had gone to, dra- uh, gone to uh, school in drag, 
he called me one day and he had moved to New York City and he called me and said, and I've told the story before, but he, he called me and said, oh my God, I just saw this drag queen last night do a theater show. And she did a whole monologue to a, a Wagner aria about, you know, <laughs> and it was this crazy. And I was like, what is going on in New York City that drag queens are doing monologues to Wagner arias? <laughs> I thought this is crazy because in New Orleans, people were just lip syncing. You know, at that point, I think it was Melissa Manchester. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> oh my God. And so that turns out that was Coco Peru. And uh, yes, and so I decided I would move to New York, even though I, I did not move to New York to do drag, but I wanted to be around that energy. Yeah. I just, uh, and I guess maybe, you know, subconsciously I knew that I, I would end up doing drag there. And so I moved to New York and um, I uh, went into a bar one day and they were playing the videos from New Orleans. And so I told the guy, that's me. You know, I felt like, you know, uh, <laughs> I felt like ah! Patty, du yeah, yeah, <laughs> Patty Duke in Valley of the Dolls. You know, that's me singing, you know. And, uh, and so he said, well, there's a big benefit and you should come, you know, perform at it. And this was for the March on Washington, I think in 93 that happened. And he said, there's a big benefit at the Pyramid Club. You should come do a number. Well, of course I knew the Pyramid Club and I knew how legendary it was. And so I was so nervous, but I went and sang a song where I sort of became famous in New York before the cheese whiz of doing a belly flop <laughs> just in the middle of a number. <laughs> and I would you can race up into the air and fall on my belly. I would just any on concrete anywhere. And it, I would do it in every, every number. And, and I you got can see that in Wigstock. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I do it. In yeah. Wigstock. Yes. So um, I did you... that. <laughs> but the funny thing is, is that I was still doing shock value, but Kevin Maloney, who, you know, produced Lip Sinka for many years and has had a theater company called Tweed. They would do these things called fractured classics and they would take a play and not change a word of it. They might edit it down, but not change one word. And the, the comedy would come out in the absurd casting. We said every word the way it should be. So he cast me in my very first play where I was Honey in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And so that character is very mousy, but I was, you know, I, at the time I weighed like 300 pounds, you know? And so I had to do everything tiny and, you know, I was supposed to be, <laughs> everything had to be tiny. It wasn't shock value. The character was how mousy she was. And even though I'm yeah. 300 pounds, I was acting, you know, like I, I was four foot 11. And <laughs> I realized in that show that being tinier was actually funnier than being big, yeah. being, that shock value had been done and that me pretending to be as tiny and demure as possible <laughs> sort of got more laughs. And then I sort of changed my whole, my whole character at that point and sort of became Varla. I, I love that Marvel origin story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you've mentioned a lot of things. Uh, we're going to get to your um, friendship with Coco Peru. Yes. Um, we'll have to talk about that. But first, I'd like to know. Um, so, yes, you are a theater queen. Um, yes, you are a live singing queen. Um, you've been on Broadway. Yes. Um, I, I know that you played Mary Sunshine on Broadway in yes. Chicago, yes. Um, which is a dream role for any drag performer who can yeah. hit the falsetto notes. Oh, God. <laughs> it's a young girl's game. <laughs> um, what are other um, favorite theater roles or songs that you've sung that are pretty unique to you that you haven't seen a lot of other drag queens do? 
Well, with Fractured Classics in New York, that that theater company, I I was able to play all these characters that I would never myself, you know, think to cast myself in. I played yeah. um, uh, in Suddenly Last Summer. Oh God, what's the character's name? Um, I can't remember. It's it's the Liz Taylor part, mm. uh, and you know, and I we did that with Jackie Hoffman. Um, who played my mother? Yeah, who was amazing. We did. Um, I did the Miracle Worker with Charles Bush. He played mm-hmm. Helen. Kel- he played Annie. Annie Sullivan. I played Helen Keller. I was off book. <laughs> <laughs> I had one word. Wawa. It was hilarious. Uh, <laughs> but that was amazing to to play these parts. I did. Um, they did uh, the movie Caged which I guess is sort of the inspiration for women behind bars, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I did that with, you know, and everybody was in that Lipsinka, Charles Bush, Joan Rivers, Lorna Luft, everyone. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I got to play Mary in, in, um, in the women, you know, the daughter. I mean, uh-huh. so I, I played a lot of little girl parts, a lot of little girl parts. I played, you know, uh, Rhoda in uh, uh, The Bad Seed. I mean, they would cast me as a little girl part because I was so giant. It was just ridiculous, you know, yeah. that I would be. And um, so those were some of my favorite, you know. And then later in life, I mean, I, I got to play uh, Baba in the opera, The Medium, which, you know, and we did it seriously, which was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life because to be angry in falsetto <laughs> while other real women are singing is very, very <laughs> difficult. Yeah, and that, that was, I would never do that again. But, um, um, and also I did this opera, it was called The Medium. And it's a very serious opera about, uh-huh. you know, this, this woman who's a, a con artist, does seances. And she, um, <laughs> she basically is, you know, faking everybody. And then one day she hears, she starts to hear all the voices of the the spirits that she pretended to hear, she really oh. starts hearing them. It's an amazing opera. Um, Sounds and, amazing. Uh, oh, it's so <laughs> good, and it was a really great production. But if you say Varla Jean Merman in the medium, it's like saying you know Edith Bunker in Medea. You know, it's like, you know, it's like <laughs> and people weren't ready for it to be serious. And you know, yeah. and, and I did enter with a piggly wiggly bag. So I mean, you know. <laughs> So I might redo a little of that, but you know, I, I've gotten to play great roles. I mean, you know, one of my when I was thin, and I think only a thin queen should do this. You know, I got to do Auntie Maine. Um, you can't really do that heavy. <laughs> it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't quite work. I think Gloria Swanson and Auntie Maine are two characters that have to be uh, sticky. Both thin. <laughs> you have to be both, and I was for a while, but you know, my weight goes up and down like Mariah Carey. So it's like, you have to look like a wraith on stage. Yeah, it's the only way it works. have this decorated career as a um a theater actor an opera singer a drag performer and you also have a cult classic movie which i always say to young people is drag education it's compulsory drag education it's a movie that must be watched for your better understanding of drag as an art form The film is called Girls Will Be Girls. 
It stars you, Coco Peru, and Jack Plotnick as Evie Harris. Um, it's a brilliant film. It's, it, you know, I, I, I told a 20-year-old recently to watch it. And I was like, there's going to be jokes that you're like, all right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I believe it is, I believe it's compulsory. I believe it's like, it's necessary drag education because it's one of the first of its kind. And I say that because I know that there were plenty of movies, you know, there were, there's all of John Waters films. Um, there's movies like Vegas and space that starred drag Queens, but this movie girls will be girls was independently produced. I'm assuming, but yes, everything about it feels like, you know, it looks and feels and sounds and has the quality of any other blockbuster theater movie at the time. It's so well done. It's so well performed. It's so well written that nothing about it feels like an indie queer cult film. It just feels like a movie starring drag queens. And to me, that was like, that was something that made me go, wow, drag can go all the way to this. And, you know, that was when I was like, I think I watched that movie when I was 18. I'm 34 now. And now look at where drag is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the reason why it looks so good and it was so good is because Richard Day, who wrote it, I mean, he just had this amazing vision. And and we all sort of knew each other. I knew, um, I knew Coco because when I went to New York, I... Um, found out she was doing a benefit and I, I called, I think, and I asked, I want to do this benefit, please. Cause I knew she was doing it too. And that, and that's how I met him. And, um, you know, and then we, we became friends, you know, uh, very quickly. Um, and we've been friends for so long. It's so wild. But um, I knew Seth Radetzky who had come to see my show at 88 when I started performing in cabaret in New York and he was good friends. He went to college with Jack Plotnick and then Jack of course knew Richard Day. And so it all just sort of came together, but you know, Richard, it was just an amazing, um, an amazing experience. And when I first read the script, I'll never forget. I was walking down the street in San Francisco. I was doing my show uh, in San Francisco and I read the whole, the line about, you know, oh, Coco, I've had more children pulled out of me than a burning orphanage when she's talking about her abortion. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I can't do this movie. This is offensive. People are gonna, people are gonna go insane because this is before Family Guy. Uh -huh. That that humor just hadn't really made it to the mainstream. Do you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. and then of course that's the one line everybody remembers. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I mean, thank God I just said I remember because my manager Mark Cotali, who's very conservative, <laughs> he, he brought it up first, and then it turns out it, it's the biggest line. You know. <laughs> My my favorite line, and I say it all the time to you when we share a dressing room in in yeah. Provincetown, is yeah. um, Varla. That's a beautiful name. It's also sort of a fat name. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, funny enough, when we did the movie, and it, it was released in theaters, and uh -huh. I don't think anybody went to the theater to see it. I remember doing my show in New Orleans, and somebody said, oh my God, we saw your movie today. We were the only people in the theater. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, one of those. But then a year passed, or two years, and then I remember walking down the street in Provincetown, in drag, you know, barking for the show back then, and, and I was walking full drag, and somebody drove by in a car and threw a handful of Jolly Ranchers at me and said, take these for the ride, you huge cow, and threw them at me. <laughs> And I was oh like, how dare they? <laughs> and then 
I started thinking, I know that line. And that is the line that Evie says to me when she has some candy. She says, take these for the ride, you huge cow. But it took me a while. <laughs> and I was so offended that someone was throwing candy. But then, of course, I got it. But then that's when I started to realize it was catching on. Like, people were, yeah. it, they were watching it, at, you know, at home and on the DVD. And, and so that's when, and then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger for a long time. But we went it's to- It's a cult classic, Varla. Well, we went to Sundance with it and no one would let us in anywhere. We would try to go to every party. No one would oh let us in. Gosh. Drag back then was just not, people didn't want to be around it. It was not understood. That's horrible. Yeah, I'm and sorry. we could not hardly get into any parties. I remember me, Coco and um, Jack standing outside parties trying to get in and you know, in the freezing cold and, and snow and they wouldn't let us in. I mean, it, it happened after one after another. And we were just trying to get into, you know, obviously do some publicity and, but back were then- Were you drag, in drag? Oh, total full drag. We stayed in yeah. drag the entire time in Sundance. We had outfits made to walk down the street. I had ski outfits and- That's you know, horrible. But back then, but back then but, ski you know, outfits. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, down onesies. Um, but, <laughs> uh, you know, but even in the nineties, there was a time where, people didn't want drag queens um, uh, in the pride parades or, the, or they didn't want the dykes on bikes. Yeah. They didn't want any of the fringe. There was this whole thing with, you know, um, sort of don't ask, don't tell where it was like, well, let's just pretend we're normal. That's the only way that we're gonna yeah. get ahead as gays. And that was in the nineties and it was late, mid to late nineties. And it, and it happens over and over, you know, there's like an ebb and flow. And yes. I remember as a teenage drag queen having similar stuff. I mean, I was, you know, like there were always drag queens in our pride parades in Portland, but it was always supposed to be family friendly drag, which I get at the pride parade and at the, um, at the, at the waterfront downtown for our pride celebration, there's going to be kids there. But there was like, with say, with letting us know that it was meant to be family friendly so that, um, so that we didn't like, you know, scandalize any children. There was also a lot of language that was just like, you know, we're, we're doing you a solid by even letting you be here, drag queens. So oh, don't know. fuck it up by being drag queens, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, and also, you know, nowadays, if they know you're a drag star, it can kind of, you know, people are into it. They want it. But back in the day, believe me, if I wanted to sleep with someone, I would call my roommate and say, D-drag my room. You know, and he'd be like <laughs> stuff, stuffing all ball gowns into a closet. And, and so I'll, never, I'll never forget in the 90s, I went out on a date with a guy. And then we... And this is in London. I was at the Soho Theater. And then I went out on a date with the guy and we um, were sitting there and I hadn't told him why. I just said I was in London doing a play. And um, and this is in, God, is this in the late 90s? Maybe so. Uh, and then um, some of his friends came up and one of them said, oh my God, you're Varlamer. And I lit, this is the only time I've ever done this. I went, what? And I acted like I had no idea. I just acted like I had no, and I, I still remember that to this day thinking, my God, why was I ashamed at that point? Even I'm in fucking London at a theater in the West End and I, I couldn't even admit that I was doing it. Now, now that seems insane, right? But back then there was just a whole different, you felt like you were, you know, like a, you know, a, a degenerate at times yeah. back then. I mean, it was just a different I mean, feeling. Even in the 2000s, like I, um, a handful of times, uh, hid the fact that I was a drag queen. Yes. Went on a date with someone, 
slept with the person. And then the next day we both found out we were drag queens and we had both hid it from each other <laughs> because there was such a stigma around it. And I remember, I remember um, gay men my age saying, I didn't come out of the closet to date someone who wants to be a woman. Yeah. And so that statement in itself is ignorant because yeah. it's trivializing um, drag as an art form. It's conflating drag with being transgender it's mm. you know it's all kinds of shit but like yes. that was the mentality so i bet to that mentality so i yes. i tried to hide the fact that i was a drag queen if i was dating um if i like was going out on a date with someone and they asked me like what i did i would say i'm a cabaret performer and that was <laughs> and that was yeah. the vague blanket statement that i would use i did a while yeah and now now being jinx monsoon is what gets me laid um. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Even I, I mean, I'll, you know, it's um, that's a, one of the great things about Drag Race is that what it did was it, it made drag look and, and revealed it as an art form. You'd see who someone was a man, who they was a woman. Sometimes it'd be totally different. Sometimes they'd be exactly the same. Uh -huh. But then you got to know that they weren't, you know, like, you know, well, mentally ill but some of them yes they are but anyway you know what i mean it, it became more of a psychological problem back then where then it was revealed that oh wow this is an art form and that that's been one of the greatest things yeah. about drag race well you learned that the mental illness isn't related to the drag <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes. you know for so long we were labeled as that was our mental illness turns out that's the thing that's normal about it yeah i know right that's funny <laughs>something a little more recent in your life um i guess not too recent because it's been the entire time that i've known you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's recent but, <laughs> um so i've known you about six years now when we when i first started performing in provincetown we've shared dressing rooms together for years all of the red wigs just tacked up on the wall it's <laughs> yeah. very fun um uh, you told me at one point that you had retired from drag for uh, for a time, and then you started. What was the order of events? You retired from drag, you started doing CrossFit, and then you got yeah. back into drag. And now uh, you you've talked about your fluctuating body size yeah. um, in your drag career, but now you are. A brick house, stacked daddy, <laughs> out of drag. And then you get into drag, and you're still Varla Jean Merman with the strength and physical prowess of a Clydesdale. I've seen you do things. You you had a um, you had a rope in one of your shows where you climbed to the you climbed to the top of the stage. You use your muscles now for your drag work, which yes. of course is brilliant. <laughs> like, but um, let's talk a little bit about that journey for you. <laughs> well, you know, when I was a kid, I was always afraid to do sports. I just thought it wasn't my thing. And I was, I think I probably had the ability because my brothers are both very uh, athletic, but I was just so afraid to even be in front of people, you know what I mean? And so later in life, when I, when I, I was very heavy and then um, 
you know, I decided to lose weight and I, I lost the reason why I lost the weight. And I was known as, as a fat girl. I did all fat girl jokes Mm -hmm. and I was doing a, um, an off-Broadway piece uh, called Dream Analysis. It's by this amazing choreographer named Mark Dendy. And uh, he was also a modern dancer. And it was the craziest piece. It had two Najinskis in it, two Martha Grahams. They were both in drag. <laughs> I played a, a, a psychiatrist and, and I had to wear a corset back then, a very tight corset. And I also had to dance. And I thought I was gonna have a heart attack. I mean, it was <laughs> so intense. To, and you know, dancing in a corset, you know. Oh yeah, it's the worst. Yeah. And back then, you know, there weren't all the kind of waist centers. It was like a boned course. And they decided that they were going to bring it off. Uh, it was at the Joyce Theater, which is a big um, the dance theater in New York. And they were going to bring it off Broadway. It got great reviews. And so I thought, my God, I have to I have to lose weight for this. And that's the reason why I lost the weight is because I thought I want to be able to have fun like the other actors are and be in mm-hmm. shape and be able to deliver a performance because I just was you know, hoping I wasn't going to have a heart attack. It's yeah. different motivation. And so that's how I sort of lost the weight. And then I became very, very thin. And I was thin for a long, long time, you know, and uh, very skinny. Because then you kind of get addicted to, you know, losing the weight. And then you, you don't realize you look terrible. I remember, you know, I got a call from this guy who I used to work at at a bar. I would do some drag in New Orleans. And his assistant called me and said, uh, everybody in New Orleans thinks that you need to be back home during this part of your life they thought I was dying of AIDS because I, I was so thin and so you know they were wanted to take care of me you know what I mean so because at the time in the 90s that's sort of what happened yeah um, and so you know I lost all this weight and um, then I ended up getting Chicago so I, I did mm-hmm. not I didn't I, I, I a, a tour I, I had been a, a second cover in New York City for a while for Broadway, but um, I, I ended up not doing that show, but then I just kept my weight off. But my first summer in Provincetown, um, I showed videos and they were me as a fat girl, but I was on stage so thin and people would ask me after, who's the who's the really big girl in the videos? <laughs> the people thought they, they, were, they were two different people. But I, I just love to exercise finally. And then I did, I'm one of those people who got introduced to CrossFit. I can be a little competitive and, and I just, <laughs> I, and I love the, um, everyone I knew was in theater. Everyone I knew did drag. I mean, w- that's who I hang, hung around with. So it was so interesting to suddenly be around this entire different group of people. And, yeah. you know, and it was not gay people. It was straight people. And I hadn't really hung around them since high school. You know, I hadn't, I hadn't wanted to, (laughs) you know, and then it was just, there's something that happens with exercise. And I know this sounds crazy because, but it just, you become friends with people. You're kind of struggling the same. And I really, really got into CrossFit and I started competing and I was doing really well, you know, even on a a world level. I mean, you know, so there's this big competition called the CrossFit Open. And one year I placed 221st in the entire world. So, and this is for for my age group, of course. Mm -hmm. And um, I just really started to enjoy it. And, you know, it's very interesting, the the term gender fluid to me, because you think about it, that's, you know, people say gender fluid, you know, maybe one day they want to dress like a boy, maybe one day they just want to dress like a girl. I totally get it. But sort of what happened in my life, I was kind of this big, I don't know if it's appropriate to say girly boy for, you know, 40 years, you know what I mean? Since I was born. And suddenly, 
I just started to change. Now, I didn't purposely make myself change. My mind changed. My things just changed in my life. And suddenly I became muscular and, and, uh, and athletic. And so my whole world sort of changed and I had different goals, you know, and um, because at the time, you know, I wanted to be the most famous drag queen in the world and someone beat me to it. <laughs> you know, So I had to compete at something else because I'm not going to lose. Uh, and, and so, you know, it's just sort of how things changed. And I, I mean, I can't believe that I've, you know, been able to experience life as a totally effeminate, um, you know, twink. And now, you know, can be a, you know, a, a big, you know, hairy muscle daddy. It just seems crazy, but it's just sort of how, how my life and my, my personality has changed over the years. I mean, nobody's the same for decade after decade yeah. after decade. And yes, this is kind of a dramatic uh, change, but I'm known for my, my drama, you know? <laughs> well, um, I, I mean, I think, you know, when we think of gender fluid, we think of it as more of day to day, but yes. the term fluid, when you use it, like as a proverbial term, you know, yeah. it means you're open minded and you're open to your gender changing at any given point. Yes. And, um, you know, I think a lot more people would understand and embrace gender fluidity if they realize that it doesn't just mean today versus tomorrow or you know so many gender terms I think are purposefully kind of open-ended because for so long we've been as a society taught that gender is a structured rigid thing yes so to even be introduced to the idea that gender can change fluidly from day to day from year to year, um, like that's for some people, that's all it needs to be. For some people, that's what unlocks their ability to find another aspect of themselves is just realizing that gender isn't natural. <laughs> sex, right. sex might be natural, you know, like our genitals might be natural. That might be something, you know, we're born with and can change in our life. But gender is a concept and gender is something that was created by human beings. Yes. Um, so, you know, once you start thinking of it like that, and then what's amazing is I'll see you early in the day. Um, <laughs> I'll see you early in the day with a squad of muscle boys. You're all pumping iron and going, yeah, yeah, work it, pump it. Then you come into the dress. Well, I'm sure you go home and shower first. Then you come into the dressing room. You come into the dressing room, start doing your makeup. Quickest makeup in the West. Yeah. No, that's Dina Martina. Come on. Yeah. You're just doing your makeup and you and your assistant, Brian, like in uh, amidst your makeup process, kind of get you into Varla mode. And it's one of my yeah. favorite things is you go from being muscle daddy, um, iron pumper, and then you're sitting there. I'm the tiniest little lady <laughs> in the world. Just ingenuous ain't got nothing yeah. on me. Yeah. And you sit there and you talk in your tiny, tiny little voice. Yeah. And, and then you go on stage and sing in your falsetto. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, what to me is the coolest thing is you have become Jeffrey, the bodybuilder, and you haven't lost Barla Jean Merman. Yeah. And the two coexist within you, even if both have changed. <laughs> well, it's funny because, you know, gender fluid, I mean, 
I think, you know, over my lifetime, yes, it has sort of changed. But it's interesting, in the 90s, there was a, a time where there were a lot of people um, sort of, you know, uh, transitioning. I mean, I remember when Girlina and Candace Kane, I mean, I knew them both as boys, you know. And um, it was an interesting time because drag was having its first I mean, you know, it was, it was the time of RuPaul's, uh, you know, first inclination and, you know, with, with You Better Work and and drag was so big. And and so you, I wondered sometimes, and not about Gerlina or Candace, because, you know, I, I, I know they are who that they feel they were meant to be, but there were some people who were taking hormones and doing things at the time. And I often wondered, wow, are they doing it just because, you know, they are, um, getting so much positive reinforcement being in drag and is it really who they are and I thought sometimes are people being confused and then I thought well I can't really understand that because I am not in transition I am a, an actor you know what I mean and so even though I say gender fluid I'm talking just about you know from being effeminate to masculine and, and yeah. back and forth and I can do I can be all of that in in you know five minutes mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean but it's been an amazing journey to see I mean, I love the fact now that, you know, like uh, uh, Kaya Marie, you know, Kaya in Provincetown, some days yeah. I'll see her in completely boy drag, some completely girl drag. And I love that. I just, I find that fascinating because in, in the nineties, everything was black or white. You had to be this mm -hmm. or that. And I, I remember having lunch in Provincetown with a friend of mine who transitioned. And she said, you know, sometimes I wish I hadn't because, you know, some days I just want to get up and put on my jeans and be a boy. But, you know, at the time, that's what you did. It was either or. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So I just, I, I love this whole concept of being fluid, you know? Yeah. Um, Dear I, God, I, I hope I didn't say anything offensive. <laughs> no, no. I think you're speaking from your experience, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. And you've been around and you've seen a lot. That, that wasn't why I paused. I wasn't taking yeah, yeah, a dramatic yeah. pause to be like, well, you know what's interesting? how, how am I going to yeah. pull this yeah. out of the yeah. fire? <laughs> No. Well, it's very interesting because on Sex in the City now, uh, the Cynthia Nixon character, you know, Miranda, uh, mm -hmm. it, there, there's a whole thing about that is that she is so hard compensating to not be offensive that she is completely offensive. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. so when you're thinking, you just dig yourself in a hole. <laughs> and it's, it's actually a pretty interesting uh, character. They've, well, they've with that. you know, like our oppressors, the people who oppose us, the people on the right on the right who want to label the queer community or label concepts of gender fluidity and um, transitioning, you know, want to demonize us for all of this stuff. Yeah. And especially the people who want to say that like, you know, young people don't know who enough, uh, who they are enough to make decisions yeah. about their transitions and stuff. And so they use terms like this is a trend. They use terms like people are confused. And I think what you were mentioning is when we live in a rigid world where it's all a dichotomy, where it's all a binary. Yeah. Like maybe these people weren't confused, but because these were their two options, they had to pick one. And maybe sometimes they wish they could still go back and forth like, right. like, you know, young people are experiencing today. And I just remember this conversation I had with Benda La Creme where I was like, you know, there are aspects of gender revolution that feel like a trend. Mm -hmm. There are, you know, like when, when so many people are starting to embrace it, it's hard not to feel like, do all of these people feel this way or is there an aspect of it that it's a trend? Right. And Dayla said to me, if it's a trend, 
what a great fucking trend. Like think of the other trends. Think of like, think of, you know, like I remember like the late nineties, early two thousands, you know, uh, just so many trends that were destructive, toxic masculinity being enforced constantly. You know, I think of all the destructive trends and this is a trend that's about liberation and revolution. And then I, you know, that was like a handful of years ago that we had that conversation. And now I'm like, I don't think it is a trend. I think that just almost everyone would probably, if they had their minds open to it, if they grew up somewhere with families and support units and communities that allowed them to think these complex thoughts, almost everyone would find that they do not like, they do not lie rigidly in a one or the other. They could identify things in their life like, oh, this aspect of me might be a little more femme while this aspect of me is more butch and both can exist inside of me and I don't have to have any kind of shame or, or force myself to fit into any kind of box. And um, so, you know, I'm sure there's like a handful of just true truly like I'm a man and I'm only a man and hopefully I never meet them. So, (laughs) you know, I will say on, on drag race, when God Mick was talking one time about, um, you know, yes, I, I, you know, I, I, I've transitioned and I, I I'm doing drag, you know, not every person transitions to be Ken and to be Barbie. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to choose and you transition to be, all the end of one spectrum or all the end of another. And I thought that was so enlightening. When I heard that, I sort of understood so much more about it because like I say, I'm an actor. I'm, you know, yeah. I, 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 I'm very comfortable being a man. That's who I am. I'm an actor. So, but, so I have sometimes needed to understand better, you know, and just want to understand. And so I thought that was amazing. Like you don't have to be one or the other, like you can be it's totally in between. And I just, you know, I just love that's, you know, one of the greatest things, not everything do I like about modern times, but that's one of the things I prove of. Cell phones, flat screen TVs. What happened to the rest of my TV? (laughs) I've had the same cell phone since like 1997, the same number, a 917 number. And I still have my AOL account. I I truly do. So I'm old school. Varla, um, you're in Florida. I'm in California. We're both in two very sunny locales right now, but it is the dead of winter. It's almost Christmas time. Yes, it's the holiday season. I myself am. Uh, I'm entrenched in the holidays right now as I'm touring with Vendelacram. Tell me, do you have holiday traditions? Do you have anything you're doing special this year for the holiday season? You know, I just always make sure I'm home for Christmas. I actually haven't done a Christmas show in many, many years just because I like to be home, yeah. uh, you know. And, um, you know, now that I'm married and, you know, my, my mother-in-law lives with us and, you know, and my husband is sort of obsessed with Christmas and you would not believe the decorations in our house. Because <laughs> my mother was so weird about it, you know, like literally where she's handing out the presents and she's putting the tree away. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> And it was on a thing. And she, when she built a house, she had a Christmas tree closet built. She'd just roll it on a pedestal into the closet, <laughs> close the door, roll it out, you know. 
<laughs> all the ceremony and ritual was taken yeah, away. Like, uh, like you're unwrapping and she's literally putting shit away. Uh, <laughs> and um, uh, so do it like we have a life-size Santa like <laughs> statue. There's like, we probably have is it one, two, three, four, five, seven or eight Christmas trees, full-size Christmas trees in the house. I mean, and it's so beautiful. I mean, I just, you know, I lived by myself for so long and just in, in apartments in New York City and, and, and then in New Orleans, just, I never really decorated for Christmas. Do you know what? And it actually is amazing. I mean, I love, I love what he does. It's just, it's, it, it just, I love Christmas now. And I never really did before I was married. That's, that's really sweet. Um, marriage can teach you things about yourself. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> um, my, my partner and I, we have very different taste in movies. We kind of intersect at like absurd comedies and, and horror. Um, but he really loves rom-coms and documentaries. Yeah. And I like, you know, like I'm, I pretty much only watch horror movies and superhero movies yeah. and otherwise I'm watching um, adult animation yeah. <laughs> or, oh my God. or I'm watching um, or I'm watching Seinfeld for the fourth time or Frasier yeah. for the fourth time, which yes. I found out is a symptom of my OCD is that um, um, people with OCD and anxiety like to watch the same show over and over because they know what's going to happen. <laughs> Are you kidding? Because that's yeah. me. That's me. Here's the deal. I want to watch. I want to watch American Dad every night before I get into bed, so I can say the lines of Roger along. I know what they are. Dewitt likes to watch Ozarks or people being blown or, or de designated survivor. Where it's like, oh my god, and I'm just I get so tense at night, and I just I'm so anxious that I can't even sit there. I cannot watch yeah. it. I want to hear. Yeah, I, I'm I'm the same way. I mean, I like to just. I want to hear Roger's voice. Although my dog, dude, <laughs> if Roger starts talking, the dog will leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> Not a Roger fan. No, All right, no, Duke. No, 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 no. No, no. <laughs> so I have these. Um, I have these obligatory questions. Okay. I ask all my guests. Um, this is how we wrap up every episode. So I'd like to ask you, who is your celebrity crush today? Well, you know, oddly, there's a woman that keeps coming to mind, and I don't know who she is. Have you watched Ted Lasso? No. There's the blonde, this older woman. I don't know who she is, but I've been obsessed with her. She's so beautiful, and she's probably in, you know, late 50s. Oh, my God. Whoever the woman is who owns the team in Ted Lasso. I know it's odd that I say a woman. I can't think of a man right now. <laughs> That's fine. Crushes are, crushes are, oh, there we go. Hannah Waddingham. Oh my God, she's look at her look like that. The second picture in the book, like look at her body. I mean, she's yeah, yeah she's amazing. She is so beautiful. In the, in the show, she has kind of long hair, and she's really and yeah. she's gorgeous in there. Well, yeah, crushes yeah. don't have to depend on our orientation. No, no, no. But I totally have a crush <laughs> on her. Um, I am doing this bit in my current show where I talk about queer baiting. Yes. And every night I put up these pictures of Timothy Chalamet, Harry Styles, and Pete Davidson as queer yes. baiters. Yeah. Um, and every night I look at Harry Styles in this tutu, tutu in white tights, yeah. with his big 
foot front and center. <laughs> and you can oh, see yeah. the outline of his foot in the tights. And so now I feel like I'm obsessed with that one image. It's like I have a crush on that one image of Harry Styles. How interesting. And every, <laughs> you know who every I night saw I the say, other- I'm going to, every night I say I want to, st- um, yeah, it's a, uh, <laughs> If you go, it's this one. Oh, you can't see what I'm pointing at. Um, anyway, there's one of them where his uh, foot is front and center and he's drinking champagne. Oh, and I every see, night yeah. I say, I want to stuff those tights into my mouth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so now I've gotten myself obsessed with this image. Oh, yeah. Well, you know who I, I just got obsessed with? And we've shared a dressing room with him. Steve Grand just did a... Um, the, the singer did a, uh, a another calendar and he looked so beefy and beautiful. I mean, ha- have you seen that little video that's on Instagram right now? No. You but... have got to see this new video of Steve Grant. It's just a little, like, it's a little <laughs> video. And he just, like, there he's, he looks real thin, but now he's kind of beefy and big. And he's, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I've shared a dressing room with him. So, uh, and, and yeah. before, I never was into Pretty Boys, but now he's he's aged a little bit and he's he looks gorgeous. Oh, my God. Michael, my my husband, um, when he came to Provincetown that summer and we were sharing a dressing room with Steve Grand, he he developed like a schoolgirl crush on yeah, Steve yeah. Grand. Like when Steve would like walk by, Michael would lose the ability to speak and just kind <laughs> of like, ah, hello, he's Steve. A beauty. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's a so, beauty. He's a beauty. I've gotten Michael Steve's calendars before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Um, Next question. Yes. Are you spiritual? Um, you know, the older I get, the more spiritual I get. And I just think that you sort of realize that there's no way that this could be happening by chance. Do you know what I mean? And I think, you yeah. know, I think there's some people who can realize that when they're very young. For me, it's taken like, hello, hello, hello. You know, <laughs> it's like, I mean, there's things that have happened that just, you know, I just, it's so designed that I I have become much more spiritual. And also I think once you've sort of in love and you see um, just how grateful you are for everything. I think a lot of my life, I wasn't grateful. I was always worried that I wasn't quite good enough or that, you know, that I was a hack or, and when you get older and you can sort of look back on everything, you're like, oh my God, what an idiot. I wasted so much time worrying about that. You know what I mean? And also being in love and being in a relationship and and just sort of knowing that, you know, this is it is is interesting. I mean, before I had relationships, I was like, well, this will be nice for now, you know what I mean? But I know this is it, you know? And so, and not that that completely defines me, but it it does relax you, you know what I mean? It doesn't define you, but it informs you. Yes, exactly. And my final question for you is, what is your go-to karaoke song? Oh, my God. I know this sounds crazy, but I love uh, Charlene. Uh, I've never been to me. Do <laughs> 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 you know that song? That's, that's a drag standard. Have you ever seen I Ben LaCreme perform that number where the CD keeps skipping? Yes, yes. So, no, I so love brilliant. that song. <laughs> I love that song. Yes, yes, yes. I Yes. I also love Ben Ben Delacrams. Another number I always think of uh, is the uh, one with the the push on lights on the tits and on the on the crotch. You know the burlesque number where it's like yeah. a press on lights. I love that. I love that. <laughs> um, 
And do you have anything you'd like to promote right now? Are you going to be in Provincetown this summer? You know, I'm going to be in Provincetown this summer, my 24th year. <laughs> 24th year. Can you believe it? I mean, I remember when I was there in uh, my first year and Jimmy James told me, I've been here 13 years. I was like, I'll never be here 13 years. And now it's <laughs> 24 years. You know what I mean? But I love it. And, you know, I have to say, I, you know, I'm glad that people still love it. I mean, it's just yeah. amazing. I mean, it's been, you know, 20, it's like, you know, quarter of a century, here we go. Um, yeah. And I'm, you know, for New Year's, I'm, I'm going to do a gig with Sherry Vine and, and Heck Lena in, in Palm Springs. And I, I'm doing a show, you know, I, I'm going to be all over the place, but, you know, mm -hmm. I, um, I'm not doing really long gigs anymore. You know, I yeah. did Palm Springs for a while. I just, you know, through COVID, I just realized that I, I want to be, you know, I want to be home, I want to be the dogs and I want to do all this. So I don't want to do the long gigs. I would gladly do, you know, weekends and things like that. And, and, but I'm not going to do, I mean, I used to go places for, you know, besides P-Town, but you know, we bring the whole family or we even bring my yeah. mother-in-law this year, but you know, I would go away for, you know, three months to do a gig. You know what I mean? Or I was just always on the road and I just, I just love finally settling down and having friends and relaxing a little bit. You know, I mean, I, I worked, I've worked a long time and it, was, it hasn't always been easy. You know what I mean? And now just, you know, and even having Brian, I remember when I didn't have my assistant, Brian, and I have to do everything myself. You know what I mean? And now I still have to do it myself, but I can yell at her. <laughs> no. So I, I'm just going to be doing weekend things. For a while. Okay. Well, I think you've earned it, Barla. Yeah. <laughs> Set your own schedule. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I live in Fort Lauderdale. I've retired, basically, right? No, I know. No, no, I'm glad. I'm, I, I'm still glad. I just, you know, did a great run in Palm Springs, and it was so amazing, and in San Diego. And, and so I, I, I do still like traveling, but I, I like to be home. Well, I, I think a lot of performers who spend their life on the road learned that through the pandemic like yeah i i had been talking for years about wanting to find a better work-life balance and spend more time at home and then the pandemic allowed me the chance to see what that would actually be like yeah and now i'm like well i love being home i, I used to think i loved being on the road i do but being home have you ever tried being home? Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's amazing. really fun. Yeah. And I, I've become so codependent with my cat and uh, I like my little daily routines. So um, I'm definitely trying to do more of a 60-40 split, you know? Right, yeah. Well, I took every gig I was ever offered for yeah. 20, 20, 30 years. <laughs> and now I'm like, you know what? that's too far to travel for that amount of money. I don't, I can say no. Do you know what I mean? Before I would have never yeah. said no to anything. You know what I mean? I and just it's not didn't... always the money. It's like, oh, sometimes it's a gig you want to do. Sometimes yeah. it's just that like, what? well, I could do it. So why would I say no? I have the yeah. time free. I'm going to do it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And also, I mean, I mean, I have put away some money. I've, I've done pretty well. So I can, I, I can afford to, to make those choices now. But, um, you know, I mean, I know somebody young has to take it. And so that's why, that's why you do it when you're young. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just, um, God, I really seem like I've resigned. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, you're not. You're not Sunset Boulevard yet, Farla. <laughs> no, 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 no. I know, but I just, you know, I, I, but I do want to do. This is what I do want to do. I do want to do theater again. You know, I yeah. hadn't done a play. You know, Peaches and I had worked together, and then Peaches Christ, and then I stopped doing plays uh, in P Town for a couple of years, and then the pandemic hit, and then you couldn't do a play. Yeah. So it's time to do plays again. I, I really can't wait. To, to, to do theater again. So I even thought, my God, I used to act so many, I did a play every year, remember? We would do something every year and I haven't done anything in like four years. So I really want to do plays again. Yeah. Yeah, so. Plays are very special, you know, especially when you spend most of your life being a, a one person show or just you and a pianist, to be part of a cast and an ensemble and, and also the joy of not having to carry the entire show by yourself. <laughs> oh my God, it's so nice. Oh my God, Isn't it I nice love... when you can enter and exit without like the frantic rush into the next costume? <laughs> oh my God. And you know, even as Varla, you know, you look at, I, I looked at Bianca Del Rio. She has one dress, you know, it's <laughs> like, you know, I was like bringing with me like, you know, giant fingers and, and you know, <laughs> and, and suns and crackers. And the carrot top the of shit. dress. <laughs> yeah, I know just so much shit you know what I mean and like I would t I, I would bring I would carry an entire suitcase with one prop in it for 10 seconds you know what I mean I would carry you know and I had to do it and now yeah. you know it's funny I've just sort of relaxed you know and I think ugh, you know when I'm writing now I you know I just think oh no I, I'm not gonna have a prop you know so I've I've sort of relaxed that as well but you know for a while it was great because people wouldn't expect that you'd have you know you know a, a, <laughs> I don't even know what I've done but you know you'd have all this in your luggage you know I, yeah. I, I remember you know I would carry a camel in my luggage that I would ride on. It was in my luggage like a Shakespearean and it would actually spit on people, you know, to my humps. And it was a two minute number and it took an entire suitcase. You know? um, uh, Dela just reminded me of um, one of your jokes. That's one of her favorites, which is you're wearing gloves so you can't get your iPhone to open. So you use a hot dog, you use a yeah. hot dog to open your iPhone. And then you turn to the audience and say, it doesn't know it's dead. <laughs> It's not that smart of a phone. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, reminded me yeah. of that. That's so funny. I, I mean, I wish I could remember my own jokes. It's funny because I write a show and then I don't, you know, because I do one show. I don't do a lot of, um, you know, events where I have to host or anything like that. Yeah. And, and so I, I forget. I mean, my friend Olive in, in Provincetown will tell me a funny joke. And I'm like, that's hilarious. And she'll go, that was in your show four years ago. Like, oh, my God. I don't huh. remember any of them. Yeah, I know. Well... Varla, you are, you're a talented, talented drag performer, a talented singer, actor, and one hell of a muscle daddy. And thank you for your contribution to the world of drag. Oh, thank you thank for you. your contribution to the queer community. I hope all of my young listeners out there um, go and look up your YouTube videos. One of my one of my go-tos when I'm telling people about Varla Jane Merman is you doing the magic flute. Um, <laughs> in, in in your in your heyday, you yeah. were you you could sing in your falsetto as uh as a soprano. Yeah. And it's it's one of the as, as a singer myself, it's one of the things that just like knocks my socks off socks off every time I see it. And and then to see as because as we age, our voice changes, you know, like pretty much everyone, you know, unless you're someone like Sutton Foster or Christian Chenoweth or 
gets up every day and does a <laughs> does a vocal exercise. Yeah. You know, when you age, your range decreases and your voice changes. And to what are you talking the- <laughs> about? <laughs> <laughs> to watch the way that you've shifted to still be able to deliver the character the way that you envisioned her even as, you know, you you the human being changes has been one of my favorite things and been really inspiring to me because I'm 34 and I'm like already starting to lose things. And I'm like, oh, when I was 24, I could sing eight showstoppers in a row and do a headstand in someone's crotch and do the splits and do fucking swing from the chandelier. And now it's like I stand and deliver and I'm beat. Yeah, no. It's just the process. And you don't think it'll happen to you. You see other people where they're not high kicking anymore and they're not doing this. And then suddenly it does happen to you. And you realize it's just the process. And I remember my friend Ricky Graham, who's an amazing writer and performer in New Orleans. He said, I remember thinking, I can't do these high operatic things anymore. And he goes, honey, they're coming to to see you in the comedy, you know, just figure out different comedy. Yeah. Oh my God, that's right. A joke is a joke is a joke. And people may miss that, but you know, you, you adapt, you're still a performer. You just have to find a different way to express it sometimes, but it's not like you were one thing, you know what I mean? So I could have come on to the Nobody's one thing. (laughs) No, and if that's going to be on my tombstone, let it be. Nobody's one one thing, Marla (laughs) G. Merman. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Farla, and thank you all for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday, so make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at The Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. Where can they follow you, Varla Jean Merman? Oh, I'm on Instagram as Varla Jean Merman or Facebook as Varla Jean Merman, and I have my website as varlajean.com. We have had a great year on this podcast and gotten to interview so many enthralling guests. I want to thank you all so much for joining me each week for our conversations on Hi Jinx, and we will see you, or rather, you'll hear me in 2022. Thank you for your continued patronage. Forever. Listen to Hi Jinx ad free and one day early. Sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcasts.com slash plus. Make sure to follow at Forever Dog Team and at Mom Podcasts on social and rate and review Hi Jinx five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi Jinx is produced by Forever Dog and Moguls of Media, aka Mom. Hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon. Produced by Big Dipper. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts. Executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.